Well, thank you for your very clear uh, presentation. You're welcome. Do you feel you dare look in a crystal ball? What will it take? How many more elections of crowning the PC government or a wild rose government to get out of this schmozzle that we're in with the electrical de deregulation? How many years? 12 years down the road, we're here. Yeah, it's still been the same. Um, you know, this isn't a political forum, but I was mentioning to people at my table today, when someone says, how do you vote? I now vote ABC. I vote anything but conservative. And it's not, I voted conservative all my life, but I served on several committees back in 2000, three or four government committees. And I had never been involved in anything like that before. And they say, you know, watching politics being made is like watching sausage being made. And I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, when we would finish a report as a committee, it would then take weeks of the government representative on the committee cajoling us to change the wording of the report so that it, nothing in it was strongly worded. You couldn't say this was a mistake. You couldn't even say it should have been done this way. You could say it could have been done this way and it might have been better. I had never been involved in anything like that before, and it was a real shock to me as to uh, um, how important the control of information was. And I'll give you a little story. Um, so when I was being so vocal right before the election in, was it 2001 or 2000, um, the government announced that they would be putting together the Premier's Committee to look at electricity afterwards and that I was one of the people on there. Uh, after the election, it became a minister's committee on electricity, and uh, we did occasionally see the minister, but there was a fellow who was appointed who was chairman of the committee, um, and there was probably a dozen of us on the committee. So I went to the meetings diligently, and we were told that you were there to represent you know, the interests of Albertans, not to just tow your own company line, etc. And I thought everybody did their, their did a pretty good job, but... There was uh, the president of EPCOR, Don Lowry, was on the committee. The president of NMAX, Bob Nicolay, was not named to the committee. So he complained and he got added to the committee. And never attended a single meeting. Single meeting in the space of a year. Never attended one of them. Uh, had one of his regulatory staff responding to the emails, which was against what we were told to do. We were, had to do this as individuals. And at the final wind-up of that committee, the final presentation to Minister Murray Smith, um, at the end of a, a meeting, Murray would always let everybody have their say around the table, and really anything you wanted to say or talk about, and then he would ignore that and tell you what he thought. But and So when the time came for me to talk, I said, you know what, Murray, I said, Bob Nicolay is here in this room, and no offense, Bob, but I just met you. And that's the problem. I just met you. You have no right to be here. You shouldn't be at this wind-up meeting because you didn't attend a single one of them. About six months or a year later, I got a letter from the government saying, Dear Mr. Davies, thank you for being on the committee. We've decided to keep the committee going with a new mandate. Thank you for being on the committee. So I had to contact them to actually ask if that meant I was in or out. I couldn't even understand it from that. I was out. And Bob Nicolay was on that committee. 
So if that doesn't say something about how it really works, I don't know what does so. John, thanks. Excellent presentation. When you build your gas-fired generation plant, and if the gas price goes from three cents, let's just say double, what does that do to the cost of the electricity coming out of the plant if, if the input of the gas doubles? I mean, yeah, ignoring the capital cost, it basically doubles it. What's nice about gas, you know, gas was deregulated to 20 to 30 years ago, is that gas is fairly well traded throughout North America. Okay, It's pretty easy to get a competitive price for gas where there are many gas producers and there are many ways to get that price. I could probably... I could easily sign a five-year contract for gas, and I could likely sign a 10-year contract. So if we're going to generate ourselves, as I said, you want to get rid of the unknown when you're in business. I'll sign a long-term contract and fix my costs. One of the big problems with electricity is that, first of all, it's regional. It's only Alberta. There's an Alberta power pool and an Alberta price. It's really not like gas where it gets – there's so many gas pipelines that it all gets to a degree leveled out, ignoring transportation costs. So – uh, with electricity, it's very difficult to go out and get a longer-term contract because both the seller and the buyer really don't know where it's going to be in five or ten years. I mean, it's still so thinly traded, and there's so much uncertainty. So if you can imagine, and there's been stuff in the news lately about building generation outside of Lethbridge, a gas-fired plant. Where those kind of things fail and, and end up having to fail is that if you're the company that's going to take the risk to build that, you're making a very long-term commitment, at least a 20-year commitment. So what you want is you want to go find a whole bunch of customers to sign up and buy power from you for the next 20 years. Okay, But the customers don't want to do that. We want to go one, two, or three years. So you have to really go out on a limb to build a power plant like that. And that makes it very difficult to do. They can fix their costs. They could sign for the gas, but they can't find someone else to take the other half of that deal. Okay, I'll build the plant. I'm going to buy this gas. Who's going to sign up? Lethbridge, I'm not going to sign up for 20 years either for gas or for, for gas or for uh, electricity. That's just too long of a window. So there's a real disconnect between those who want to build and trying to find customers that they can partner with. Uh, my name's Ron Renwick, and you've sort of strayed into my question a little bit, but how do you think this new gas plant will serve you in Lethbridge uh, that's proposed? And I, they, they we're talking about only running about 40% of the time, so I, I just don't know how they're going to do that. Today they can do that because electricity is so high and gas is so low, and I mean today, and I even mean... If I look out at the forward price for electricity, which you can get a price for for about three years, so um, they probably could do that. I believe they also will be looking at being a steam host. So what's really nice is if these guys can generate electricity by burning natural gas and also get the steam, then they can they have what's called a cogeneration where you're getting two products out of it, and that makes it more economical. But to me, as a consumer in Lethbridge, it's 100% meaningless. It means nothing, except that, you know, if the power lines went down between here and Calgary, more lights could stay on in Lethbridge because we had more local generation. But the power pool means all electricity that's generated in Alberta is sold into the pool and bought out of the pool. You know, I can't say I'm going to take your green electrons out of this wall plug and I'm going to take his yellow ones out of that one. It just doesn't work that way. So if they build here, the only way it affects me is if they approach me um, 
with a contract that interests me to buy some of their power, therefore satisfying my needs for power and their need to to have some customers out there and feel some assurity that they will be able to sell their power. Otherwise, everybody generating in the province is at risk of someone else with a lower cost coming in and generating, and then they're out of the market. Uh, thank you. A very good presentation. Uh, I'm fairly new to this. My name is Joseph Natuk, and I'm... Is that something that perhaps uh, in the long term we, we may be able to pool and have inter as a Canadian or international uh, using the same, like sharing the power, and uh, uh, some are better producers than others, and so on. We do have a, a little bit of that when there's a, uh, a demand uh, between, say, between Alberta and Saskatchewan or uh, Alberta and Manitoba or Montana. Is that a is that a concept that maybe in the future may make some sense, where you can have a, a pooled uh, power sharing? In a perfect world, it would be nice to have a fully integrated grid in North America. And the grid is integrated. There's a tie line into Saskatchewan that I think is 150 megawatts, if I remember right. Provincial demand is 8 to 10,000 now. Um, there's a tie line of about 800 megawatts into BC. So there is definitely some of that going on. The problem with the transmission lines as opposed to the gas pipelines is they're much more expensive to build. They usually go over land, not under land. So then you have all of the issues with the, the landowners um, and they're not getting buried there. And the other huge thing about electricity when you compare it to natural gas is that there's no storage for electricity. Okay, natural gas gets stored. I can use twice as much now and half as much later in the day, but they can keep producing at the same rate because it can go into and out of, out of storage. Electricity isn't stored. There isn't any economically feasible way to store it. There's one little way. It's called a dam. You can think of a dam as electricity storage, right? You build up the water, you convert it into electricity. So you're storing water, you're storing electricity. And boy, and I haven't paid as much attention in the last few years, but, you know, BC Hydro made great money out of Alberta. There was a great transfer of wealth there too, because what they would do is they would the price of power in Alberta is much lower at night when there's less being consumed and much higher during the day. So they could buy power at night for two cents a kilowatt hour out of Alberta, close down their dams to a degree, back up the water, let the water out the next day, sell it back to Alberta for four cents. Or five cents. I mean, it was a great deal for them. It really was. And it, it's a good thing because it does store electricity. But fundamentally, it's hard to think of electricity as a commodity when I just can't drive to Winnipeg and load a truckload of electricity and bring it here. Then I'd have true competition. If, if the price is way lower in Florida, I could get some from Florida. Uh, the, the, just the simple nature of it is that it's not transportable and it's not snor storable, and it has to be generated and consumed in equal quantities in real time every second. So that's one of the things I think wasn't thought of well in advance when we think of it as a deregulated commodity. John, thank you very much. Uh, Terry Shellington here. Um, you dismissed the uh, NDP uh, policy on electricity from the last French election fairly uh, swiftly uh, by saying that it was hard to put the genie back in the bottle. I'd be interested in hearing you be more specific and concrete about why you think re-regulation is not on. Sure. Um, I think I think the genie came out of the body permanently the day that the government announced that the PPA auction was a success back in 99 or 2000. Um, it was a miserable failure. 
After following the auction online, I thought there is no way that the government can declare this a success. So, you know, we'll be okay. Three days later, they declared it a success. Um, so what you have now is you have a tremendous number of generators in the in the province. Excuse me. You have uh, some smaller guys, medium guys, bigger guys, everybody in the oil patch, some forest businesses. They're all generators. Um, so the first thing, if you're going to uh, re-regulate, I think that that's unfair to those companies that made their decisions. They chose to decide to generate and to now come along as the government and say, in a sense, we're going to take away control of your asset. You can't sell it for what you want. You can't run it how you want. So I think you really punish a lot of players who uh, got into the market in good faith. Um, the other side of it is regulating three companies was a nightmare. Regulating 30 companies is that much worse. It will cost so much and there will be so much involved because regulation is kind of like having a union environment. It's us against them. So the ATCOs of the world, and this would go down to the small guy. Some small guy who's got a like there's a whole bunch around southern Alberta, little five and six megawatt, well, several of them, five and six megawatt setups. How does that guy now try to go to the board and, and fight? He doesn't have the money to do it either. So how do you how do you keep those owners whole throughout the process? Um, if you start just setting prices, I mean, you might put some people out of out of business. So I think it would be a very difficult process to do. I don't think there's nothing you can do. But I think it's very difficult to uh, to now start to control something once it's running wild, you know, to herd it all back up and contain it again. I uh, really enjoyed that, uh, John, uh, Dwayne Pendergast. Uh, I uh, thought I saw the Enron name on one of your slides, and I think it might have come from those, gov from those government papers you were referencing. Could you, do you have some insight as to how much Enron was involved in designing our Alberta electrical system? Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say that Enron was much involved in designing it, but I will definitely say that they had the government's ear. Um, there was little question about that in my mind. The government of Alberta at that time thought, wow, here's a sure sign of success. Look at this, our little old market. Here's this global player, this wonderful, highly touted, very successful company called Enron that's coming to Alberta. And the government played that card so many times. Wow, look, we're doing it right. Look who's coming to play in our backyard. Um, and Enron did come to play. Uh, they came to play and they came to take advantage. The market surveillance administrators was created in early 2000 also as a, again, independent um, company to uh, look at our market uh, with the power to find, the power to investigate, all of that. Their first three investigations they did were all initiated by me. And one of them was... I could see through the data that Enron was withholding power from one of the Sundance plants that they had the rights to in order to drive the price up. And the government, the MSA, found that to be true, didn't even give them a slap on the wrist, and all they did was uh, change the rules so that what they were doing would be either impossible or more difficult to do. And that's how we, re we reacted to that at that time. And it was a year or two later that... You know, all of the documents came out saying how they were gaming the markets in California and how they were gaming the market in, in Alberta, too, and, and laughing at us.
John, in the absence of, of, uh, of a questioner at the moment, um, one of the uh, conversations that came up at our table I'd like to touch on as moderator. Uh, in past uh, presentations here at this forum, uh, John, we've had uh, several uh, on nuclear reaction. And, of course, that sounds like a dirty word now after what's happened uh, uh, at Chernobyl, at Three Mile Island, and certainly at in Japan. But uh, uh, some people uh, with good credentials have uh, pointed out that what we should be doing now is spending money uh, researching uh, a new generation of generators, of nuclear generators, uh, so that we can lead in, in the world that, that there's only one solution to power, and that is nuclear generation. Having said that background, um, we are unaware, most of us, that all over the world, as we speak, there's dozens of submarines and battleships going around that are fully nuclear generated. These are small generators that have been working effectively for like 25 years. And uh, we have never heard of, of any disaster there. Is it not possible that small generators could become a solution here where they do not require transmission lines. You can have them locally, and if the price of them is, is right, uh, who would be to object to it other than the establishment which is making so much money at the present time? Yeah, I think that touches on a couple of issues, you know, alternative sources of energy and distributed generation. Uh, distributed generation is a wonderful thing. If we could all have... You know, a hydrogen-powered power plant in our basements that would uh, eliminate that need for, for all the wires, all the expenditures, and all the losses that go along with them. Um, personally, I've, you know, I'm, a, I'm a scientist. I'm an engineer. I'm a proponent of, of nuclear energy, personally. Um, I think that it's a shame that over the last couple few decades, because of the problems that happened in the industry, it became a dirty word, nuclear. So uh, government funding, corporate funding for nuclear research really did stall. So you haven't seen much in the way of advances uh, over time. Um, and that's a true shame because that would help us out of a, a lot of problems nowadays. The other side of it that we talked about at the table that I mentioned was, oh, man, let's hope that doesn't happen right away. Because if that happens right away, Alberta is going to be the biggest have-not province in all, of Alberta, in all of Canada. We have all of our eggs in one basket, the energy industry. There won't be a soul living in Fort McMurray the day after that comes out. There won't be, because there will be absolutely no need for it. So usually the breakthroughs don't come in leaps and bounds like that. They come more slowly. But uh, uh, you know, certainly, um, we talked about nuclear, we talked about solar, I said tidal energy. There are a lot of things out there that if could come to play would be very clean, very efficient, and, and a very good natural source of power. Um, but it's a shame that, you know, again now, you know, a number of years had gone by and now we have the, the stuff in Japan. And uh, that, that's really soured anybody's thought. So I think, I think the problem with nuclear is, is right now it's always NIMBY, right? Not in my backyard. We all love it as long as it's far enough away not to bother us. So, John, my name is Dean Paisley. And I, the regulated power, deregulated power system is what it is. What I'm concerned about is how 
businesses like yours, you are a significant business in Lethbridge, along with meatpacking plants and Richardson and so forth. <coughs> You've, we've got to compete in Lethbridge and in El uh, against people that have a regulated market. Can you continue? Um, certainly we are continuing. You know, we are a Lethbridge-based business. We have no plans to move. Um, you know, this is where we grew up and this is where we'll stay. We do the best we can uh, to compete and, and fortunately we have been able to. You know, we uh, have a lot of automation. Uh, we have a, a good workforce, a good reputation and a good product. Um, our expansion, when we do expand and we have been and are expanding, is still here in Lethbridge. Um, but what you you will see is that there have been companies that have had to move out of Alberta. I mean, I know of industries, and huge industries, for whom power is 50% of their input costs. So they're just definitely not going to be here. Um, what it does do is mean that you have to work harder to find those businesses for whom the advantages of Alberta are still in place. And, uh, you know, excuse me, I remember years ago somebody in the government saying to me, yeah, but we've got low taxes. And my response is, yeah, but I've got to make profit before I have to pay taxes. So let's put these things in the right order here. Thanks, John, for your presentation. My name is Knut Peterson. Uh, someone mentioned uh, the Madel line to Montana. Uh, you have any thoughts? Uh, it's a fairly controversial line in terms of uh, whether it's going to be for export or whether it's going to be for import or what is it for. Do you have any thoughts on that line, uh, where that might take us? Because if it's a success, obviously there may be more going that way. Yeah, I think... The, the answer to whether it's used for export or import is wherever the price is cheaper is where the power is going to come from, and wherever it's higher, it's going to go too. So if Montana's price is lower than ours, it'll be coming into Alberta and helping to drive down potentially the price in Alberta um, if there's true competition, and vice versa is true. I think one of the real sad things with that was you know the, the landowners and uh, uh, the process they had to go through to try to try to stop it. Um, most of these are still just a drop in the bucket. When you look at Alberta as a whole, um, you know, when we're using eight to 10,000 megawatts and you're adding even a one or 200 megawatt line, it, it, none of them have a big impact or big effect. Unfortunately, you have to more or less think of Alberta as an island. It's a made in Alberta problem and we need a made in Alberta solution. I'll, I'll echo everybody, most everybody's thoughts. Excellent speech. I really look Thank forward you. to uh, your letters to the editor as well. Uh, my name is Blake Babke. Uh, if you could, we spoke briefly at our table. Uh, just speak to how the this deregulation has empowered the municipalities to uh, really tax people um, through uh, user fees, uh, and transmission charges, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, all those other charges on your bill um – Lethbridge, we own our own distribution network. The city of Lethbridge does. Um, but the city has several ways, and they do use every one of them, to um, get money out of the utility. So although we had a tax increase this year of a couple or a few percent, two and a half or whatever it was, um, most people, in fact, there was no article in the paper, nothing was ever said about the fact that the distribution rates, the city's portion of that, is up 14% this year. Um, the 
provincial, the transmission part is up about 24%. The net to us at work is about a 20% increase on our wires charges this year, which is probably $10,000 a month. Um, so it's a lot of money. Um, so the city makes uh, makes uh, um, money off the utility through their municipal consent and access fee, which is a 30% charge on, on I think it's now 27 but a 30% charge on that. The city actually makes a return investment off the utility itself. And the uh, uh, city, who is supposed to run a balanced budget in their utilities according to their own fiscal policy, uh, is probably $10 million surplus over the last 10 years in the electric utility. So to this city, that utility is a tremendous source of revenue. It is a big, big, big source of revenue. Um, you know, they'll make the argument that if someone else owned it, that someone else would be profiting from it, so why shouldn't the city? Um, and that's just a debate for whether you think it should be an um, economic development tool or what it should be. But having said that, the municipal consent and access fee in Lethbridge is the legislated maximum that it's allowed to be. Whereas in uh, many other smaller municipalities in the province, I mean, it runs from zero to the maximum uh, in in other areas. So um, it has been um, a good money maker for them. Uh, again, there's no incentive to the city to keep those costs down. I still have. I didn't write a letter to the editor on this one yet. I still have an article from the Herald, from our current mayor of about a year or two ago now where he explained that there is no profit, um, that they're not profit centers, that no profit comes from the water utility he's talking about, which is actually false. It's an 8% out of revenue. So if you're city council and you need more money, truly the incentive is if we double the rates, we'll get double the revenue from it. It's not a profit. It's just a simply a percentage of revenue. So we have a system in place in this city whereby there is not only no incentive to lower rates, but when you're taking a percentage of them, the higher the better. So it's actually counter that, that the higher you can charge, the more you can make. I'd be happy if the city took, in a sense, more. Let's say it was like a profit sharing. Go ahead. If you can save a dollar... You keep 50 cents, you give me and the customer 50 cents. I'm still saving 50 cents. That's, that's pretty good for me in the end. Unfortunately, the way the system's set up is it's quite the opposite. There's no incentive in there for, um, for those kind of dollars to go down, only to go up. Mary Shillington. Thanks, John. Uh, this is a very complicated whole thing, and I'm, my brain is just a buzzing. Uh, we had some a little bit of discussion uh, at our table around things like the cost of the hospitals uh, here, and and I'm thinking, you know, schools and all those other kinds of things that we as taxpayers are are paying for. So as the as the city ups the the rate that they're they're doing. Does that mean we're paying double because uh, we're paying for our own homes, but we're also paying for those other, like those services in the community that are sponsored by the city, you know, are paid? So am I understanding that correctly? Oh, definitely. As I said, you know, when you go to Safeway, they have to raise their prices to, to make money on it. Um, I wasn't even aware that this 14 plus 24% increases were coming from uh, the city until I was uh, received a phone call from 
someone at the University of Lethbridge who was quite angry about it and wanted to rally people together and get in front of city council and, and make some noise about it. So, yeah, if you're the University of Lethbridge and you've got a budget, you don't budget for an unexpected 15% increase from the city. And that's been another huge thing that we've asked the city for in the past as industry. We have to try to budget and plan our future. And all this stuff goes before council in October, November, voted on in December, and it's in January 1st. And any time I've tried to get any of that information in advance, I'm always told by administration, it has, council has to see it first. Well, and get your ducks in a row and get it to council in June. You know, not that far down the road. It's very tough for businesses. It's not tough for the city. They just say it so and they get their money. But it puts the rest of us in, in a tough position. So, yeah, if you're the college or the university or a business or a school, like you said, a school district, and you see those costs go up, because even though a school district or someone will have signed a deal for electricity, that deal's for the electricity. All those other costs that we see, the wires charges and the extra fees and stuff, those just get flowed through by the retailers because there's nothing they can do about them. They pass them along. So those are definitely shocks when they come to uh, to anyone that, that has to pay that kind of money. Thank you. Thank you, John. Um, I'll end up the meeting now. Great. Thanks, Thanks. Thanks.